how are you going to hire somebody at a wage you could barely afford, if that, with a process you've never done yourself, you don't know what's there. And then we just started talking again. I'm like, instead of taking this time with me now, why don't you call 10 people in the ICP? Oh, my brother has it. He's like, the last three months I've been managing engineers. Mind you, not an engineer. He's like, well, you run a company called Rev Genius, so revenue is first for you. I said, it's first for your investors too, sir. <laughs> like, what do you, he asked me for a recommendation for a salesperson. I said, absolutely not. I am not going to give you a sitting duck. You make it a situation that I feel good that they have a chance in heck to last six to nine months in. I said, you and I both know he's, he or she is out in three months. If you could afford that. I'm like, I'm not giving you that person. <laughs> Sorry. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Jared Robin. And Jared's the co-founder of the Rev Genius community. And in our conversation today, Jared and I cover a lot of ground, starting with a discussion around the growth of the community in the sales world. Everybody's probably familiar with at least one or two of these communities that have sprung up recently. And Jared's going to take us through the story of Rev Genius's founding, and he talks further about its mission and how it's serving its members. We also dig into what's behind the rise of this community in sales and talk about how they've become a necessity for many sellers who aren't receiving the kind of support they need from, for the development of their careers from their employers. And we also explore the specific types of support that sellers are most looking for from Rev Genius. So all of this and much, much more. But before we get to Jared, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could also give us your feedback on how we're doing in the form of a review. So thank you. All right, let's jump into it. Jared, welcome to the show. It's, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me, Andy. Well, it's a pleasure to finally meet you um, and talk with you. So you're, you're upstate New York right now, right? Escape the city. A little I summer am. break. It, it's lovely. Uh, upstate in Highland, New York. I won't give the exact address, but uh, a really lovely place. And uh, coming from the city, oh, man, I, I, I'm, my partner and I are talking about moving out here pretty much every night we go to sleep. We're just, we're just here short term. Oh, well, get yourself a weekend place. That's that what awesome. everybody does in the city, right? Everybody, everybody does in New York City. They all have their second places. Yeah, I, I, I need to um, first be successful enough to be able to okay. afford it. Uh, but we'll get well, there. We'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that point. <laughs> there is that. I mean, for people that maybe aren't familiar with you know, with Manhattan, the city is. It's I don't know what your experience is, but certainly someone that lives in Manhattan at least part time is. The summer's nice because you can actually go to a restaurant. You don't have to wait to, <laughs> to get a table. I mean, everybody's, everybody's pretty much gone upstate. So in general, that's correct. Um, but COVID just so happened to let up a bit, you know, this summer. Yeah. So um, yeah. it's slightly the opposite, but still everybody's going everywhere. And, um, you know, without going too tangential, Airbnb is going through the roof as a result, right? Oh, um, yeah. In terms yeah. of bookings, yeah. Well, I was just... Telling someone last week, I was looking for my wife and I to do a little bit of a weekend getaway. We hadn't we haven't done one for you know year plus, like lots of people. Uh, even though we have things scheduled later this year, but in the immediate, so we're just looking here, yeah, along the California coast, uh, Southern California, you know, sort of nice hotel. I and mean, first of all, the rates are about three times the normal, 
and they are just unavailable. So, yeah, everybody's uh, getting back into it. It was a sneaky time to do an IPO, right? At first, everyone's like, "What?" with them, and and then and then like very quickly after, they're like, "Oh, yeah. oh yeah, smart." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, let's let's talk about Rev Genius. So, sure. where where'd the idea come from to start Rev Genius? And I'm sort of yeah. curious because. I mean, it's not like there aren't other sales communities out there. Um, I counted, no, at least Dozens. eleven. If you include if you include AAISP, I mean, we got Sales Hacker, Rev Collective, Modern yeah. Sales Pro Bravado, Sales Blah Blah. It's also Sales Hustle, War Room, Bonfire, Sales Community. So, and that's so, just probably Googling. Like, if if you know the nitty gritty deep end, there's probably another dozen that that. Is there really? Oh, you have to give me those names. I, yeah, <laughs> those are the ones that I was familiar with. That I'm I have on a spreadsheet somewhere. <laughs> okay, yeah, that I I get the emails from every day. Sure. Um, so so you know what drove this idea to start something? Yeah, that's yeah you know, in this in this space. So a, a year ago, um, to the month last June, oh, last May, but you know, give or mm-hmm. take. Galem and I, uh, co-founder of Rev Genius, mm-hmm. met at a bunch of webinars. We kept seeing each other at a ton of webinars at the beginning of COVID. I had no job. She has a job, okay, at the mm-hmm. time. So she's showing up to, to quote-unquote level up. Um, I'm mm-hmm. showing up because I'm showing up because um, I'm, I'm just trying to get uh, my foot in anywhere at the time. Uh, right. The market was saying it was bad was was an understatement for for quite a few months for quite a few people yeah. so understandably um, right so eventually we realize there's dozens and dozens and dozens of of digital activities that we want to go to that are speaking to us from dozens and dozens and dozens of different places and it feels very fragmented whether you're um, a SaaS company with really good content mm-hmm. to help you whether you're a trainer with really good content that could help you, whether you're a community with really good content. And, and, you know, we just, she saw me, uh, we saw each other, you know, in, in the zoom meetings and the same chats connected on LinkedIn and, and had a conversation away from that. And, and we're like, okay, what's needed. It feels like, like something's needed and she's entrepreneurial. I'm entrepreneurial mm-hmm. and out of a job at the time. And, um, we're like, well, there needs to be a centralized platform for all these events. Um, okay, how does it look? Eventbrite, mm-hmm. f- Eventbrite for for sales and marketing events. Right. God, how, right. Do, how do we make money? Uh, like Eventbrite, charge a, a percentage for ticket prices, right? So this is our first idea, and we're like, this is this is great because we're the ICP. We like all this stuff from all these areas. Why can't it just come in a single thing? You were just mm-hmm. talking about how many emails you get. Imagine if there's just one digest. And right. then, okay, so now you actually want to go to all this. You click yes to dozens of things because you're out of work in COVID. And you can't even show up to all of them even if you wanted to because they're on different platforms. Some of them send the Google calendar. Some don't. Some you have mm-hmm. to add. Sometimes you forget. Sometimes mm-hmm. they Sometimes they forget. And it's just discombobulated, right? And and right. and it's a lot of good content. So we're like, okay, uh, a, a blessing in disguise happened. I had a friend, um, the old CTO of the company I used to work with, early stage guy, um, brought a business to TechStars, smart, sharp guy. He's like, Jared, I'll, I'll build your MVP. We'll build it on uh, WordPress. Um, mm-hmm. And 
this event bright for sales and marketing. He's like, I'll do you a solid. And uh, the, what happened was he got busy. God forbid. And, and it fell through because we're not his top priority. Oh no. Right. And, and so what Galen <laughs> and I did for was, free is not his top priority. <laughs> I mean, there had been, uh, you know, we, we've been super helpful and good friends in the right. past back and forth, but, but a hundred percent. And, 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 right. you know, after a couple of weeks of this, I'm like, okay, it's not happening. So how do we do this? Non technical salespeople. Like every Sunday, Galen was putting all of the events we curated onto a Google sheet. Okay, cool. Not the prettiest, but it's something. Mm-hmm. How do we get people to see it? How do we get people to understand? And we're like, well, we need to have a group of people. We, we, we're at this point, I'm buying into to LinkedIn personal branding a year ago. I'm like, I need to do everything to get a job. I'm going to post every day. I've read Justin Welsh's amazing mm-hmm. LinkedIn right. playbook. And a year ago, that I mean, now he's beyond belief, but like a year ago was really potent and poignant. Right. And, um, yeah. and I'm posting every day and I'm meeting other people. You know, we're becoming friends in the comment section. So mm-hmm. we're like, okay, let's start a group chat on LinkedIn and every Sunday we'll share this with them. And what we realized fast was, one, we're not sure if they're looking at it. Right. <laughs> and two, they're sure as heck are talking a lot to each other. And they, mm-hmm. and they really like each other. And, and these people, which the group is now 38, um, April or May last year in LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. And we're like, okay, this feels like a community. Let's look at the community space. Let's see, let's, let's see if it makes sense. And, and at the time, it, maybe we were dumb not knowing everything, but we're like, there's four main players. And you said that there's, there's 11, 12 now. We're like, there's yeah. four. There's, there's Revenue Collective. Right. Okay. Revenue collective paid exclusive. Got it. That's how we mark them. Mm-hmm. Their sales hacker, as you said, at the time they didn't have the onsite community. So we're like content got them. Right. Content. And, and up until a year ago, that's, that's exactly what they were. And, um, or, or mostly anyway, we're like, um, modern sales pros, accessible that no cost, yeah. but a bit of exclusivity and email. Email base yeah. got them, and yep. bravado, and we're like, oh, we don't really know <laughs> what they are, what but they it doesn't. Yeah. So we're like, there's, we have a bunch of friends here. Um, we feel like there's no truly inclusive, and when I say truly inclusive, like not just white men running it, and and mm-hmm. and right. I, I I hate to I hate to say that, but like think about a year ago, <laughs> jeez. So you get it, it but like also mm-hmm. accessible. Um, accessible to us meant free or low cost. Right. And so we're like, okay, cool. There's, there's a gap it right, right or not. We're like, we saw this gap and maybe we didn't have maybe fortunate that we didn't know everything uh, because right. then, then simultaneously uh, LinkedIn is um, the app is breaking for everybody because everybody's talking so darn much on it. That it's literally closing out. They're like, y'all need to go to Slack. And so they told us to go to Slack. Along the way, we picked out a name. I remember when we picked out the name of Genius. We had this group. <laughs> we had this idea. And then, and then one day we're like, oh, y'all, um, I want to let you know we're going to rename this chat Rev Genius. Is that cool? And they're like, um, Yeah. They were like, cool, done. Yeah, <laughs> and, then, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then we just went. Uh, so that's literally how it started. And um, sure enough, when we started asking people, like, hey, like, 
join Rev Genius, they're like, oh, what about this? What about that? And we're just like inclusive, um, no cost, sales, mm-hmm. marketing, and, and now RevOps. Mm-hmm. And they're like, okay, let's go. Let's go. And because like everybody in our group um, had a really good energy. And, and you know, the first 500 or 1,000 people, we wanted to we wanted to let everybody in, but we also wanted to to ask certain people first to come in, sure. right? To to build this energy because we knew if we scaled, heaven's allowing, um, mm-hmm. that we wanted to set the pace with the first few hundred or few thousand members to be able to help moderate, like to know like what was cool, what wasn't, and the energy right. that we wanted, and and we wanted um, an empathetic vibe so to speak mm-hmm. and, and and this was important in my career 15 years in sales um never felt like i had a safe place and and, and i'm i'm a white male like in, in the mm-hmm. companies i was with i'm a majority right. and i felt like right i had to be buttoned up all the time and and i worked right. for fortune 100 for my first seven i can only imagine if you didn't look like me and sure enough Mm-hmm. Um, the story started coming in and, um, sure. and, and I was able to start empathizing and, and imagining and seeing. And, um, and so we made that like part of it as well. Like being like, Hey, come here and, and have a space. Right. So that's, that's the, the, the medium of it. <laughs> okay. So we'll take us to today. So how many members do you have? And answer, what does Rev Genius look like? For people who aren't familiar with it, just describe yeah. what it looks like if they go to your website. So, yeah, so today Rev Genius is still in Slack. We're figuring out uh, what to add, how to productize, etc. We have fourteen thousand members, sales, marketing, rev ops, uh, regular programming uh, from a monetization strategy. We have sponsors helping support mm-hmm. us, um, thankfully, and thank you all, sponsors. <laughs> um, we have three uh, full time folks on board, uh, soon to be a fourth that we're paying. <laughs> that right. that um, yeah yeah. That, 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 you know, and, and we're looking at the next steps and we're looking to fine tune it, make it better, scale it up. And, and the goal is, and, and where we're at is to create like the de facto place for sales market for, for revenue information and, and, and mm-hmm. information, having questions asked, have that place. Right. And I say revenue and it seems like the, the popular term it is. And, and, you know, in this product led growth world, we don't know what an SDR looks like tomorrow. Um, as you're scaling the company, is you theoretically need less sales and marketing or, or less sellers um, in product-led growth. So that might be more of a RevOps person. But we, we want to be open to the evolution of the space uh, role-wise. Right. right. Well, so for people who aren't familiar with product-led growth, why don't you take them through that so they understand that? Yeah, so uh, product-led growth is the idea that the product sells itself. Um, it's the idea that you don't need to, to, to scale it. You don't need hundreds of sellers. Um, it's an experience top of funnel to bottom of funnel that um, is driven by the product and, and not by salespeople. You, you want to help expound? Like, so you know, it does, it's not even a price point because... Tesla, I believe, is product-led growth, where you, where you have specialists. You don't have outbound people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. really doing it. So, like, it, it's not necessarily like um, a six-dollar a month Gmail account, which is very much product-led growth. 
but right. it's uh, it, it could very well be a Tesla car, an eighty thousand dollar, hundred thousand dollar car, where they don't, where they have more specialists answering it, right? Answering questions, I should say. And product growth tends to be lower price points, uh, subscription type of motions, uh, you know, essentially organizations that aren't scaling the sales motion. Yeah, well, it's again, it's one of these ideas that's not. It's not fully new. hashed out. That's why I'm like, right. Yes. Well, it's not hashed out. It's not totally new. I mean, I think right. that, sure, it makes sense for a certain class of products. As you said, it's already happening. Um, and we'll continue to see that. I mean, just look at, I mean, just in the last 30 years, you know, just the number of products that people can buy without talking to salespeople has gone up exponentially, right? But I still think that you run into the levels of complexity and risk really dictate whether people feel they need validation from salespeople about the decisions they're making. So the question that I'll put back out is, is it a salesperson that gives the validation or is it a product specialist that can answer those questions and, and help a solution specialist of sorts? Yeah. In the mind of the customer, does it really matter? I think they'd prefer that it's not a salesperson. <laughs> That's <laughs> well. No, my point is is one's a title, right? I mean, it's you're sure. talking about what the qualifications need to be for the person in that role, yep. and yeah, I mean, you could make the argument that yeah, it doesn't need to be somebody that's sort of a classic salesperson at all. Right. Um, yeah, but I mean, that speaks to why do classic salespeople feel like they need to act like stereotypical salespeople? Um, that that really then becomes more the the issue, right? Because we're talking about what the buyer experience is with someone that's helping them make a decision, right? So if you say, look, the buyer's goal is is uh, I believe you know buyers in general, what they want to do is they want to quickly gather and make sense of the information they need in order to make a decision with the least investment of their time, attention, and resources. That's what that's what that's what buyers ideally that's what they want to do, right? They don't want to spend six months to make a decision they can make in three. Um, so, But the buyer's evolving, right? Like how many years ago they needed to be tapped on the shoulder to be told what was out there. And today they know, they, they walk sure. into the job, I need this product for, for call coaching. And, and I need Gong Chorus. I'm going to call both of them in. Um, oh, and and maybe on, watch it. you're on. Oh, pardon. You're on a ring I'm DNA sorry. show. Ring DNA. <laughs> my, my I, need to, I need to train my I need to train my guests ahead of time. But yes, go ahead. <laughs> so you know to call in ring DNA, um, and and maybe one other lesser competitor just to hold them, keep them mm. honest on pricing and in terms. Mm. And um, you're reading about some new. AI-driven uh, open AI tools that could help with email. So, so you know you need a sales engagement product, but you also need something um, to help with emails because that's interesting. And, and, and you're bringing them in. It's a lot less frequent that a no-name, no-money company can just cold call and, and get a meeting, If it, right? Like if they're in a space of, of massive incumbents it's becoming harder and harder well, they have to, yeah i mean that's well again that's that's a really interesting question right because and this is a question that's been posed again for a long time uh you know something that came up in the tech space for decades now sure. i've seen this this pattern repeat itself in similar in some respects different in many others but 
But yeah, it's like, okay, well, how does a no-name, no-brand, no-money company break through and sell? Um, and yet, it continues to happen all the time. So it's just different, right? The challenge is very different. Um, but I think your point that we were talking about before, I think, is, is really a good one. Is Yeah, what do sellers, you know, what does a seller look like? Because uh, I would make the case that, that's really in support of your point, is that, <laughs> yeah, is that we train people all wrong today and wonder why the buyer experience is, is considered bad and why they, uh, you know, surveys of C-level people say that their experience with salespeople is bad. Uh, you know, this behavior that, that people find objectionable, that, you know, buyers find no value in, that's not innate human behavior, right? Being what I call salesy is not innate human behavior. It's learned behavior. You mean when you show up to a pipeline meeting with not a full pipeline and you have somebody like breathing down your throat and, and now you're a little more aggressive the next week? Um, <laughs> for instance. <laughs> for instance. Or when you, sh- when, you sh- when you show up with a buyer and you, sure. you know, pitch before you understand. Uh, yep. You know, you rely on, you know, pushy, persuasive, you know, manipulative techniques as opposed to, hey, let me find out what's most important to you and let me help you get that, right? Um I- yeah, and, so and I think build, that, but go on. Yeah. Well, I was saying we we create this this problem. You know, we we bemoan the fact that that uh, yeah, people aren't finding value in dealing with salespeople, but we we created that monster, and we continue to create that monster. Agreed. I think I think um, part of the reason for this creation is some of the tact, and, and it's a hundred percent creation, but some of the tactics that worked five or ten years ago. And, and let's let's be real. Some of these have worked um, in the past. Don't work now, and and the people running sales, or you know, sometimes don't don't change with the times as well. <laughs> well, there certainly is that. To put that to uh, put that kindly, but but yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. See, I I I believe, and I make the the argument that the things that make salespeople successful, consistently successful. I don't say consistently good, right? I I'm sort of don't like to indulge in this myth of the top performer. Um, but people are consistently good, build a career in sales. I believe that they're winning based on sort of just just very small number of core attributes that they, have, that they embody that are more sort of human-based mm-hmm. skills. And yeah, that it's not from the conventional sales skills that, that we might be familiar with, but it's just, yeah, well, it's around being a good person. A hundred percent. So, you know, you know, what's funny, like we learn about techniques that are great, like, like gap selling, like understanding um, the problem where the gap is and all of that. But what made me get into presidents club at a fortune 100 company wasn't necessarily that it was it was the engage part of our sales training that it, that's one of the part of the acronym uh, ready mm-hmm. research engage and I remember I had a director that said which which do you think is the most important you know some people would say it's the discover but he circled the e for engage and and granted it could be because of the market was established the the company was known like that's all part of it sure but I sold the same product at the same price. Um, 
it, and, and I engaged and I showed value, but I don't remember asking the questions about like present state and future state. And like, we're, <laughs> like I may, maybe I did it in a different way, but like, I, I don't remember myself. I, I didn't read a true sales book until after I left. And I went into technology with, I went from having $45 billion and being a public company to having 1.5 million seed round without mm-hmm. a sales force filled out. Like like an empty sales force having to figure out right. the ICP, and uh, and and that's when I started my 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 real modern day sales training. But anyway, I digress. But but, but back then it well, was uh, it was the engage. Sure. Well, I think I think what people sort of react to that is that, is they somehow think like that's sort of the only thing. And and the point I try to make to people is that. That's the first step. But if you don't do that step well, there's no second step. And so you have to think about this just in terms of the, the progression, right? Is, is yeah, I would say, if you're going to boil it down to, is if your ability to engage, which you talked about, that was your job. Because, and you sort of have to think about it that way as a salesperson, because if you can't do that, the rest of it doesn't matter. Right? It's not that we can just be single thread and only be good at one thing, but you got to make sure you're good at this because that's going to dictate your ability to get into and start having a conversation with people, connect on a human level, start building some credibility and trust for this raw startup you're working for that you know, had no track record, no funding, whatever. Doesn't mean you don't have to be good at discovering qualification and everything else, but mm-hmm. if you don't, if you don't start at the beginning, and this. This is the part that sort of gets me when people talk about, oh, you know, relationships and sales, blah, blah, blah. You know, these aren't important anymore. Is, is they're really missing this fundamental point is that mm-hmm. the connection to a human is still important. And if you can't do that, then you're never going to be very good at the rest of it because you're not going to get the opportunity, right? It doesn't mean it's not binary, right? It's not like we're not going to talk to you if you don't do it. It's just that. Yeah, we need to talk to two or three vendors, so you come on in, but I'm not really paying attention to you. I'm paying attention to Jared. Yeah, and, and I mean, so so you know, bringing that engaged thing, and then you let's say you're starting in a sales org where somebody day one gives you a script, tells you exactly how to be and all of this, and hammers you in front of everybody. And I remember before I was fortunate enough to work for the one, uh, Fortune 100, I, I left uh, what I realized now was an amazing opportunity. Uh, we had to say the same pitch, the same words, the same cadence in our talk um, in front of the whole company. Company's mm-hmm. since been acquired twice, so what do I know, right? But, um, and, and then once you did that, you were good on the phones. And, and literally the first thing I'd say is, hey, and, and you'd have to figure out how to put your ability to engage in that, and you'd be paralyzed until you could. And if that until lasted forever, you'd be paralyzed and you'd be not yourself and, and probably worse. <laughs> well, but I think that's one of the issues that we see it is. Yeah. in sales. And we see the research from Uncrushed and others about you know, people feeling extremely stressed. You know, the recent poll is 75% of sellers feeling stressed or extremely stressed. Not granted, they're not all <clears throat> you know, SDRs, but... Yep. But yeah, when you're forced to act in a way that um, isn't in alignment with who you are, you can only do that for so long. I spoke to a good friend in our community. Uh, she just left her job after four months because it boiled up, and and, and fortunately, they found a better situation. 
for them. Yeah, well, I think that's that. A lot of these issues are playing. You know, I think again, you know, the whole idea of product-led growth is you know part of a a dream on the part of senior-level managers. Is that oh, we can do this without sellers? Oh, fantastic! And so, you know, I'll put it into context for you. Is so, I had a, a client that I was doing sort of fractional work for, but it was. It was end up being sort of full-time, but about three or four years, startup, venture back, we raised, you know, so in the teeth of the 2008 financial collapse, we raised close to $20 million. But when you're going around talking to investors, this is 2007, 2008, a number of them said, sales is dead. We're never going to invest in a single company that requires salespeople. Now, this was 13 years ago, right? 14 years ago. We're never going to invest in other. And what's happened since then? I know all those investors have gone <laughs> invested in SaaS companies that are hiring more salespeople than ever. Sales employment, yep. contrary to Forrester saying, yeah, we're going to lose 20% or 25% of sale B2B sellers by 2020, B2B sales employment's gone up. Um, right now, it's, it's hard to find a good salesperson on the market. Right now, yeah. They, yeah. they're they're well employed, and, and and we need more. I hear yeah. it all the time. Well, we do, right? So that's why I'm just context of the whole product led growth is is oh. people thinking, oh, the theory in 2007 was, yeah, every B two B product should be sold like it's on Amazon. Great idea, but yeah, it's not there. So, and yeah, I agree. I I also think those same people are the ones that like are like, oh, we need to hire a RevOps person now. Um, where, where, where is that? So what I'm trying to get at is I think they're saying it without taking the necessary steps to do it. But I do think that if you're really all in on it, you can set yourself up for that ish. But I, I don't, I don't think in general people are, 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 are thinking that way, so to speak. Yeah. Like you can't, you can't even buy a product on, if you buy 10 products that cost over 10,000 a year. Can you buy eight of them on that website? Like on, on their website? Can can you even sign up for eight trials? Or or <laughs> or do they put you right into um, funnel? Right into a funnel. Right now you're gonna speak to an inbound rep. <laughs> One mm. per so you're not even gonna speak to a full cycle person, right? They're gonna give you two people. Maybe three, but two probably, right? So like mm-hmm. that motion alone, that motion alone. Some companies, sure, could have the argument they need it. I sense that some people do it because of what they've seen done pressure. in past things. Peer pressure. Yeah, oh, it's peer pressure. That, Absolutely. That, that motion alone is going against it. You could take that out. Like, if somebody is ready to buy, if you've bought a CRM at the last 10 companies you've been at, or four, because, mm-hmm. you know, an exit, and you show up and you know exactly what you want, you know exactly how much it's going to cost. And if you don't, you know what you want. You know that it's going to integrate natively with seven of your other things. You know you're going to need an API for two things, um, but you know it's good, and you have the people to implement it. You can't even buy it without talking to a salesperson that at this point you know more than because you've bought it four times already, and you've implemented it. Well, I, mean, I, I, <laughs> I, <laughs> like, I had a like, conversation for years with people. It's like, 
and I, we're seeing companies now that are more and more, I think, and I'm interested in what you're seeing with your members is yeah. I'm seeing a trend toward more full, full cycle sellers again. Certainly so. in things that are more complex and more expensive and, and um, more strategic to the buyers. But it's sort of long past due in many of those cases because I remember a conversation with one a CEO is selling a complex product and you know, he's talking about his sales organization and you know, we got their SDRs, da da da. And this was, I said, this was a complex enterprise product. Sure. And I said, so let me sh- make sure I get this straight. So you've got buyers for your product who have probably bought something similar before, to your point. They certainly are much more sophisticated about. The product and the capabilities than yeah similar buyer would have been ten years before they've got all the access information and so when they finally have opportunity to talk with you what you can do is have them talk to your least knowledgeable person this is no knock on an SDR it's just it's an entry level position right we're gonna yeah. we're gonna take this this prospect for you know, it could be a big account and give them to our least knowledgeable person hmm, interesting <laughs> and. He just didn't see the the problem with that. Mm-hmm. It's like you're creating friction. Product specialist, like um, answer all the questions that could answer at a deep level. Yeah. Okay, so let me understand. When's the last time you implemented our solution or something like that? Oh, did 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 you know about this? Based on your whole situation, your setup, how you mm-hmm. do it, all your cost, you know. Um, you know, we now have a, a native integration with Ring DNA, <laughs> and, and that'd be a great fit. <laughs> See, I'm getting better good, at this. I'm getting better at you this. Learn, you learn quickly. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting better. I'm getting better. That's that's that that's that engaged part of the sales process. That's the engaged part. Yeah, doing great on that part. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's and certainly people you're starting to see more stuff being written about this. You're certainly seeing more companies, I think, starting to embrace this uh, idea that. Yeah, for certain types of products and certain selling to certain types of ICPs, you know, at a minimum, you know, a team approach to that makes sense, right? And that the, the seller as well as the SDR are involved in developing new accounts and new business. Um, and because when you have those early conversations, to your point, we all make decisions, right? When I talk to somebody... Was trying to sell me something as as and this has been studied. There's you know, Nobel Prize winner Herbert Simon wrote about this. Is we all make decisions about how we want to allocate slices of our attention, and we do that fundamentally based on this idea that <laughs> that we get a return on that time and attention that we invest in somebody, and if we don't get a return on that time and attention, we don't allocate any more of our attention to it. So, perfect example, you know, went into a bike store once in Manhattan a number of years ago, wanted to buy a bicycle. It wasn't a big store. I spent, now out of business, by the way, no surprise. Yeah, I spent <laughs> five minutes in the store, and there's no other customer in the store. Mm-hmm. And neither of the sales clerks there said a word to me in five minutes. And there was a bike there I wanted to buy. Uh, and not a not an inexpensive one, and it's just like, yeah, not worth my time. I'm out of here. Oh yeah, and your customers do that to you all the time. You may not know that's what's happening, but they're doing it. 
and you know, back to the point of uh, salespeople selling complex stuff and, and wanting the right person there, um, and, and not the most seasoned whatnot. Even when you have the most seasoned, I have a very good friend, a mentor of mine, mm-hmm. who runs the Americas for a billion dollar uh, company services. Okay, mm-hmm. background. Um, did some coursework in um, quantum at, uh, computing in like Harvard, MIT, right? Uh, Villanova MBA, Penn State with the undergrad. He he realized he got smarter after. But uh, you know, I digress. <laughs> um, he had a salesperson queue up a deal, thirty thousand dollar deal, and he went in. He's like, "What do you What do you really want with with a major company?" The deal turned to six hundred thousand. Okay, mm-hmm. um, and it, it wasn't because of upsells at all, even though it appears like that on paper. Uh, it was because they understood the true problem, the true what they want to build, and somebody delivered it with a level of expertise and connection. And I'm not talking about a salesperson that's old complex. I'm talking about somebody that's integrated systems mm-hmm. that um, the buyer was like, "You're right." Well, I, like I, I get it, and and um, and he's got the reputation around his company, which um, you know we'll, we'll keep hush here. But like to be like, you want to go on sales calls <laughs> with them, mm-hmm. yeah. and, and and oh, when you go on there, here's here's what they say: shut up. Mm-hmm. Well, but I think that that's. But you speak to several key points, right? Yeah, and this is one of the things that that. Yeah, I think. I don't know, my my take is sales has gotten smaller, right? And sort of quotes around smaller, meaning that you were always looking for the transaction rather than transformation as your mm-hmm. your friends sold. And yeah, I can speak first hand experience with companies that say, yeah, it was just, you know, having a hard time finding bigger opportunities. That's like, well, there's reasons for that, right? One is you don't take the time to really do what your friend did, which is to really, and to use your words, really understand what the buyer wants to accomplish, right? And so yeah, I like to boil sales down to something very simple. <laughs> and this is also a services sale where, where you could go in certain ways. I want to make this clear. This wasn't like three more seats in a CRM. So to oh, speak. sure, but, but you yeah. can also do the same thing in a CRM system as well. It's, it's a matter of right. how you how you position what your offer is, right? But it's it's the step that we miss in sales too often is, and that's why I said just to boil things down to very simple ways to think about it is, yeah, you know, selling is really just about listening to understand what's the most important thing to the buyer, and then help them get that. Right. If you can achieve that, right? If you can make sure you understand, and what we do is is we're so uh, prescriptive these days and and scripted in the way that we're selling, is that we gather a lot of information, but we don't really understand what it is the buyer wants to achieve. Mm-hmm. Right. We got a bunch of information, but we don't have no understanding. And your friend cross that gap from knowing to understanding and that's what unlocks the key to more transformational type deals because then you start understanding what they really want to do and then engagement comes that that's the prime engagement well, when you, you need match, to have that engagement to make that happen yes tr- true but it also escalates engagement like this person hears me 
Mm-hmm. Well, that's yeah. Well, that's that's part of being connected, right? Is is right. this person hears me? But then the next step is this person understands me, that's and that's right. this is the this is the part we're we're missing too often in selling. And yeah, I was just telling somebody the other day about a deal that I worked on when <laughs> working for a startup. We should never have gotten this deal. I mean, the dollar value of the deal was like equal to about a third of our revenue. Um, so it's one of these deals that yeah you know, happens. <laughs> really, <laughs> the good news, bad news is you got the deal. The bad news is you got the deal. It could have killed you. Yep. And it didn't, but but we beat much larger competitors, multi-billion-dollar companies for it. And the reason was the buyer just said, and it wasn't just me as you know the team of people with me that you know my technical experts and so on. It's just said, excuse me, you're the only ones who understood exactly what we we're trying to do. That's why I got the deal because they felt we understood them. And this is this is so overlooked in selling is it's not enough to know you need to understand. You know what? Oh my gosh. Now I'm finally on the the other end of the spectrum where people are selling to me. And I see it. I feel it. Oh mm-hmm. my gosh. I'm like Can I can I tell you what happened the other day? And I pointed out sure. to this this gentleman. Oh, this this this, this is rich. And, and we are working with this company. I'll keep the names out. So I see it all the time. But this one took the icing of the cake. A services business contracting out for uh, web development work. Okay, and like we're all in. I to, to to get there. I did my research. I identified two. Groups that could potentially do this, right? That that were qualified, uh, that profs were in our price range. All this, mm-hmm. I identified one of the two that I'd prefer, and this is who I'm speaking mm-hmm. with. Okay, just because like um, they felt better. So we have the conversation talking about the scope, and um, it's going smoothly. It's well. We're just talking, and then at the end, he shows me um, his deck. At the end, just to show me his deck, he's like, "I just want to walk you through this," and shows me a race card slide with CVS on it. After we're already talking scope, I'm like, right. I, I pause him. I said, the, the, he, there was nine to 12 logos on the race car slide. Two of them maybe spoke to us because they were startup incubators. Okay. Right. Two of them. Okay. Throw a startup incubator. Cool. But like, I'm, I'm in a mode in my mind where I want to convince them to take a lower than normal budget for me to work with them. And he, he's like, let me just show you the deck at the end of the call. Mm-hmm. And he shows the race car slide with like CBS on it. And I just said, stop. Like, like this, I, I know a little bit about sales. I know, know a lot, but this seems weird. Like this is not relevant to me. You had me, we're going through the scoping process. Why are you showing me this? Let alone understand the whole project. Right. That's the next thing. Right. And this is our first call. He's like, let me, oh my God, Andy, I was like, wow, this happens. Well, <laughs> like, the, like this happens. I'm like, 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 I actually think less of the company than I was going to. And then, um, and then somebody else just kept like scoping everything, but like they weren't listening to the big points and they were just saying like recaps of what we talked about. And I didn't give a shit about what we talked right. about. I cared right. about maybe one of the items. And then we had this much extra that I didn't care. About. Like, like that made me think less of the, the whole interaction. Yeah. 
Well, if you want to, if you want to be, <laughs> if you want to be discouraged, um, <laughs> I, I, and, and, and these people were probably good. <laughs> well, compared to what's so, out there, <laughs> right? Well, I have, you know, we do. We publish 150 podcast episodes a year. Sure, I probably get a thousand emails from people that want to be on the show a year. <laughs> Absolutely, and these are people who are, well, leading lights in our profession. Sure. And 99% of them are just horrible. <laughs> it's just astonishing. And we think, yet everything that's written, and yeah, on your website, you've got, in your blog, you guys, yeah, all this information and stuff about top of funnel and you know, techniques, sure. and, and it's like, it's still uniformly bad. Um, it's just like, are we not? Paying attention, to what we're writing, you know, are we not utilizing it? Is it? But you know, people reach out, you know, to me that you know clearly haven't done any research at all. Um, yeah, they don't. <laughs> it's the basics, right? And I, I know if they're doing it to me, they're doing it in the outreach then work that they're doing with prospects. Name wrong, name of the podcast wrong. Um, yeah, sir, I've got a list of like ten things that go down. It's like. And this isn't right. even a dollar amount here. sale. <laughs> yeah, I know. And you think that if you're a, a sales expert, supposedly, wanting to talk about sales on a leading sales podcast, that you'd put your best foot forward. And so I look at that and say, if they're doing this for me, what are they doing for their prospects? All of which saying we need rev genius. We need people to be a part of it. So, you, you know, what, what are they doing to their prospects? Let's, what are they doing to the people they manage? Well, yeah. Right? Like, you want to talk about the... the and, and, and now you're seeing the need for Rev Genius even more. Like, the, the problem is, if it was just their prospects, their prospects wouldn't meet with them, and that would be okay. And they would learn, hopefully, or they'd be out of a job. Mm-hmm. Um, when they don't have prospects, and there's individual contributors that are reporting to them, or managers... That they're training to train individual contributors, that's when the domino effect and and mm-hmm. you know really gets bad. Yeah, yeah. Well, we sh- we should only yeah. hope that they talk to prospects directly because then they only impact one person or at a time. Yeah, we'll have to be a separate conversation. When we talk about that. I mean, I yeah. think that that um, and I've made this point on the show before. Is is that you know managers are too quick to point the figure finger at salespeople when mm-hmm. salespeople don't perform up to expectations, when the analysis and the assessment has to start with them themselves, because that's where the problem originates. I mean, we we you know bring people into a profession and and have the responsibility to train them the right way and to act mm-hmm. in the right way and. And we're not doing that very successfully. But somebody has to take responsibility for that. I mean, we see all these reports about, you know, I read one yesterday that was uh, in a book, somebody quoting a statistic that, you know, 80% of of sales reps don't make quota every year. The last figure I'd seen was 50, but 50, 80, whatever, right? It's a big, a big number. Well, who's responsible for that? See, I don't. I don't think it's purely the seller. I mean, I think if you're if you're a uh, yeah, if you're running a factory, 
You know, so you're building cars, and you know, only 50% of the cars work in order to drive away from the dealership when they're purchased. That's your problem as the production manager, right? Mm-hmm. Well, as a sales manager, aren't you producing a salesperson? Isn't that part of your job? You're helping shape and form and produce this person and making them capable of, of doing the job that's assigned to them? So where else would you be able to survive when you had a 50% failure rate or an 80% failure rate? I'm doing, uh, doing founder-based sales right now myself, um, which all the new founders, not all, and we'll talk about that, but like most new founders know it well. Um, mm-hmm. I could see it clearly because I'd like to think I'm perceptive. I see like where the gaps are. I see where you know the whole process where I could be doing better, but mostly where the process could be doing better and learning. And now I spoke to um, a young company I advise, um, and the the founder CEO three months ago asked me about you know who he should target. He, you know he's thinking about it's it's a direct to consumer B two C type product, but he realizes um, like real estate buildings and like because they have multiple units there might be a good avenue. And he closed a deal, an inbound deal, and he's like that that was four or five k a month. I'm like great. I can help you here. Like we, we mm-hmm. can talk about this. Three months ago, I'm like, we're talking ICP, all this. And um, he calls me out of nowhere. He's like, let's talk. I'm like, what have you done in the last three months? Nothing. He's like, I, I want to hire somebody. I'm like, how are you going to hire somebody at a wage you could barely afford, if mm-hmm. that, with a process you've never done mm-hmm. yourself? You don't know what's there. And then we just right. started talking again. I'm like, I'm like, Instead of taking this time with me now, why don't you call 10 people in the ICP? Oh, my, my brother has it, the list or whatever. Like, he's like, the last three months I've been managing engineers. Mind you, not an engineer. Right. Not an engineer. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? He's like, well, you run a company called Rev Genius, so revenue is first for you. I said, First for your investors too, sir. <laughs> like, like what, what, right. what do you? So, so the point I'm trying to make, you kind of see, like when you start like that, and he's not the only one, unfortunately, no. probably not. And you hire somebody, you expect them to do something um, you never done before, and and processes and all this. Um, he, oh, he asked me for a recommendation for a salesperson. I said absolutely not, absolutely not. I am not going to give you a sitting duck. I'm not going to give you yeah. a sitting duck. I'm like, you're, you're, I, I refuse yeah, to give you a sitting duck. Man. <laughs> you, you make it a situation that I feel good that they have a chance in heck to last six to nine months in. I said, you and I both know he's, he or she is out in three months. Mm-hmm. If you could afford that. I'm like, I'm not right. giving you that person. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but anyway, that's a whole other thing. Like, well, no, but that's, I'm, trying to, do, I'm trying to do a favor to, to the person I would have gave. Oh, my yeah. gosh. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, it speaks to a couple of issues. One is, yeah, founders have to, have to engage in selling because they have to learn how they sell their product, right, and why their product gets sold. Yep. They don't know that. Yeah, they're not in any, any position to hire uh, somebody. Um, but also speaks to this, this issue, which is that things just don't really change that much. And some of these same challenges are going to remain challenges, regardless of how much technology we apply to sales, right? This idea of engagement, connection, 
curiosity, uh, understanding that we talked about, um, mm-hmm. you know, intuition, synthesis, you know, lots of lots of sort of these human qualities that make a huge difference in your ability to inspire someone to want to do business with you. Yeah, technology is not really going to help in many of those cases because those are uniquely human attributes. And we still confront those same challenges uh, year after year after year, decade after decade after decade. That's it's why I sort of give people a hard time when they talk about modern selling. It's like, sure, we got modern attributes to the selling, but at heart, it's still fundamentally the same thing. And we're not getting any better at the basics that dictate how well we do ultimately. I think that's the big challenge. That's one of the things, yeah, the reason I'm excited about communities like Rev Genius and others is that there perhaps we can start building this this sort of continuity from era to era about these basics, right? Because in the absence of these communities, it's like every time we get a new cohort into sales, we're recreating the wheel. Yeah, and you're right. And maybe, like I said, I think the, the positive aspect of these communities that have sprung up in the last number of years is that yeah, man, we create this continuity of sales culture and, and understanding about what's important so that you know, people can sort of engage in it and come up to speed more quickly. A hundred percent. And and we think that they're not always getting it where they work. Some people are fortunate enough. So have the community well, there. Yeah. And then also right now where, you know, here's the, the new challenge that came out. Um, that's So now you're not getting it where you work. Where are you going? I'll go to LinkedIn. I go to LinkedIn. LinkedIn, um, I, I reach out to my prospects there, uh, but now I consume content. I learn everything on LinkedIn. Um, and then the people that are producing it, maybe once upon a time were the best. And so, so there's so much noise is what I'm trying to get at. So like mm-hmm. you have a community now, but then you have a layer of noise. So it's hard enough in that maze to figure out that like there's some basic things and maybe you're not getting it here. Mm-hmm. So now you're looking in the World Wide Web. And, and if you're listening to this podcast, you have a LinkedIn account, I'm sure. ICP, yes. right? Like, yes. I'm sh- and maybe even you log in a few times a week, um, and you're you're picking the content for you based on likes, maybe comments, maybe echo chamber, mm-hmm. maybe all the above, and it may be okay, but like, there's so much noise, and you don't know which Patreon to join, which whatever, and so so now you actually have more resources than you did five ten years ago. Mm-hmm. But you don't know which are the right ones and which aren't. So how, you know, th- this brings another thing. And this is, this is, you know, in the next evolution of RevGenius, you know, from Slack into more product, this is something that we're really, really intrigued with, but like, like hellbent focused on. Like how can we educate, empower, inspire our mission and make it so that, one, everybody has a space. So even the people that, you know, the echo chambers, because you, you can't be biased against anybody and but but how do you surface up what's right and maybe you can i don't know this is these are interesting questions well yeah because what's right <laughs> i mean like like who are we to talk to like well, well, that's i spent a month off of linkedin i know something because i closed a million dollar deal in services i know SaaS. maybe maybe not well but i think i question everything yeah <laughs> as do i and so and yeah, I write about that quite a bit, is question everything, is that, <laughs> yeah, I've had extremely successful career, uh, reinvented myself a number of, number of times, been successful in all of those. Um, 
But what works for me may not work for everybody else. And this is, yeah, I, I resist this idea that we can somehow decide what's right or what's not on LinkedIn. It's, it's who knows where the next good idea is going to come from? Who knows who has the new, best new perspective that comes out? Um, and I, yeah, LinkedIn to me is a marketplace of ideas, and people have a chance sort of to vote by their, their support or lack of support of the ideas that are out there. We may not like all the ones that get supported, and there are reasons you know, for that. But you know, I think we're better off as a result. But I agree, what's still the fundamental problem is if you're approaching LinkedIn, how do you, how do you surf through to find the things that, that you think might be relevant to you and your situation, what works best for you? And I think that's, I think your community helps filter that somewhat. Well, I, mean, I, think, I think it's okay for the communities to have the, yeah. a point of view and should have a point of view, and you pick your community occasion, accordingly. Agreed. I think I think the general technology basis of having algorithms that serve you up certain content based on interactions mm-hmm. versus, versus not, versus not having that, right? You could have the same content in two things, and I truly agree that. But if you have something served up, psychologically, there's something with that. If you just have something upvoted that's it mm-hmm. not 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 anything more than upvote let's look at reddit as mm-hmm. as the obvious example right i i think i think just in that technology alone and, and you see where i'm going with my mind like just just that simple feature you could help surf serve up um crowdsourced good content crowdsourced yeah. is it good or not and it, it, it's it's the crowd deciding and not the algorithms that's all yeah yeah. Listen, there, there, it's it's not going to be perfect, Andy. Like like <laughs> no. like, and, and in fact, if it, if it, if it is, it's not making enough money, and God forbid, there's a VC behind it, and that's a whole other thing. Because then all of a sudden, it goes to it you changes, know what? Yeah, substantially, yeah. And and I fully support VCs and everything, but there's you know a lot of uh, a lot of um, revenue driven goals that that yeah. they come out. Yeah, that yeah may or may not be aligned with the goals of the company. So yeah. All right. But thank you. Jared, we're gonna have to we're gonna have <laughs> thank to you for your time. Oh, and that's been fantastic. So if people want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? So uh, LinkedIn.com forward slash in forward slash Jared Robin. Um, and and I don't scare from email. Jared at revgenius.com. Pretty straightforward. Uh, if you're gonna pitch me something, make it good though. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> thank you. As we talked about earlier. All right, connect Jared, with me. thank you. And we'll look forward to doing this again. We, we didn't any of the to. questions that I had to ask you. We just got off on our, our tangent. That was great. So look forward to having you come back. I, I am so grateful for your time, Andy. This has been truly an honor. Thank you very much. Well, thanks for sharing your time. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. As always, I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank my guest, Jared Robin, for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Good selling, everyone.